This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Friday, June 21st is the official first day of summer, and the sounds of the season change with each new bird that calls Mississippi home. So today we're talking nesting birds with our friend of the show, biologist Joe McGee. We'll touch on what birds you might be seeing and hearing this time of year, and also how to attract them to your home and yard. And as always, Dr. Major's here ready for your pet questions. You can join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org always like to remind you that creature comforts airs twice each week there's the broadcast on thursday and the repeat broadcast saturday mornings at six so good morning hope that everyone is doing well this morning good morning good morning morning uh libby do you have any events that you want to talk about i do let me together my stuff. Uh, first off, mention that the dinosaur exhibit is going strong at the Natural Science Museum, and that's been lots and lots of fun. And then um, up in Holly Springs at the Strawberry Plains Audubon Center, Saturday, June the 29th, which I guess will be next Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. From 9 to 11, uh, they're going to have a great advanced birding workshop. It's kind of a half, well, not even half a day, I guess, 9 to 11. So it'd be a great, great, um, I mean, people mostly could fit that in if you want to take a trip up to Holly Springs. And Hal Mitchell is doing the program, and he's excellent. He's a great birder, one of the best in the state, and also a good educator. Okay. So it should be a good thing to do. And it's always pretty up there, and you'll see lots of birds. Uh, by the way, we uh, Libby does a good job of, of looking for events to talk about, but if uh, you are involved in a creature-related event that you'd like to have publicity on, you can always email the show, and we'll try to put it on the air. Remember, our email address is animals at mpbonline.org. Anything else, Libby? Um, I guess not. We've got all kinds of nesting. I was just looking at all my people have been <laughs> sending me things about nesting birds, so we'll talk about it in just a few minutes. All right. Uh, exciting uh, times here this morning in the studio. Java on the way to work. Our producer found a cat. It's a little black cat that Dr. Major has helped us identify as a male. Um, and Java, if you would tell us the story. You think uh, you found him uh, near St. Dominic's Hospital, I think you were saying. Yeah, on the way to work, uh, I traveled the, through that St. Dominic um, University medical corridor. And uh, when I got to the stoplight right before, if you're You've been to Jackson right before you go across the overpass on Lakeland Drive. Uh, this little kitten just kind of darted out. And luckily, I was paying attention to the road. I wasn't distracted by my phone or uh, by the radio or anything. And um, I just kind of hopped out and picked it up. I was expecting it to kind of dart back into the bushes, but it did not. It kept kind of going into the street. So I said, let me uh, do something because I didn't want to see it get run over. And I scooped it up, brought it in, and uh, now I'm on the hunt for, I guess, a forever home for this little kitty. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Karen Brown, our colleague here, I think is, is uh, helping on that. She has some uh, contacts of people that will kind of take a, abandoned cats. And, and, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever told the story 
on the air, but my cat, uh, Karen, uh, helped me get because it was actually abandoned in the bushes outside here at MPB. So uh, we did the rescue. And I remember, you know, I had uh, had a cat that had died. It had been a couple of years. And I think a lot of times when your pet dies, you need a grieving time to, you know. But it was uh, it had been a couple of years. And, you know, she showed me a picture of it. And then when she brought it in there, I don't know. Something, if you like cats, there's something about a kitten that's hard to resist. So uh, that's how I got my cat. So hopefully we'll be able to find a suitable home uh, for this cat as well. Uh, so, Dr. Major, you got, got a little look at him. Um, how old did the cat appear to be, the kitten? It's always a good question. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I'd say this kitten's about four weeks old. Okay. Um, and uh looks like he's ready to start eating some semi-solid food. Uh, I don't think he necessarily needs to be nursed, but he might still like to nurse uh, with some kitten re- milk replacer. But uh, I believe he's ready to just about start eating some soft food. Uh, he looks pretty healthy, actually. Uh, I made a quick look. I didn't see any parasites like fleas or this sort of thing. So uh, that's a strange area for him to show up, Java, right there. You're talking about uh, close to St. Dominic's? Yeah, it was right uh, right along by that parking garage. Uh, I didn't know if the mama was around uh, because nobody came out after the kitten. (laughs) Right. Well, you did the right thing. That's a true, true hero this morning, okay? Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) So as we said, uh, hopefully uh, we can find an owner for him. Uh, Dr. Major, what are the things to do if if someone does find a cat that they want to try to uh, rescue out of harm's way? You know, people that are certainly interested in animals, whether it's a cat or a dog, uh, you always need to carry a towel or blanket in the car with you. Uh, Not a bad thing to have. And if you happen to see a dog, certainly a leash might work as well. Uh, be careful when you pick up something that's injured uh, because pain, they are scared and might bite you. So that's where a blanket, good blanket or heavy towel comes in. But uh, as far as what do you do, in most cases, uh, look for identification. There may be some. Hopefully there is. Uh, I encourage people, if they have their pets out, to uh, have some identification either on collar uh, microchip is important as well, especially if your pet escapes and uh, you're on the search for it. But in most cases, they really should be uh, vet checked just to be sure that everything's okay. And obviously you want to do whatever you can to make sure that it's a stray and not someone's cat who maybe just had gotten out. But a kitten that young, um, that was what I was a little bit concerned about. So, again, uh, uh, cheers to Bra- uh, to uh, Java for uh, helping out that little cat. And we will keep you updated. If we find a home for it, we'll let you know how uh, the cat uh, fared. Uh, in the news, uh, in a new study released by Nature's Scientific Reports last week, researchers in Sweden compared the long-term stress hormone levels between 58 dogs and their female owners. Researchers looked at the corresponding levels of cortisol found in the hair of the dogs and their owners, making measurements in both the winter and summer. The results of the study suggest that dogs mirror the stress levels of their owners. And so I guess, Dr. Major, I, I would wonder, that, is that surprising to you or is that something that you would have expected if you saw this study? Well, I didn't see the study, but certainly it's very true. Uh, our animals, uh, I don't know, I'd say it's 50-50. We may feed off of their stress and they may feed off of our stress, but we share a lot of the same anxiety. Uh, a lot of dogs uh, 
very much would mirror their owner. Uh, and of course, we're talking about in these cases, I guess they measured cortisol levels, uh, stress levels, and uh, were able to see a correlation between that. But uh, I think it's very true that we do see some uh, imaging or mirror imaging of, of owner pet. And I would say not only in stress, but also, you know, happiness and that sort of thing. It's amazing how um, I'm not sure the right em- empathetic is that the right word, but that the dogs are to to their owners. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons why the, the bond is so strong. The other thing I, I heard on NPR the other day, the the puppy dog eye look of, you know, when you look at a puppy and it gives you mm-hmm. that look. Apparently that was selectively kind of uh, um as and again, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, it was sort of selectively bred in that that was a a, a, a trait that uh, human owners early on in the domestication of dogs liked, and so it's it's that's why it's so popular with dogs. And I think dogs know that they, when they give you that look, they can get away with whatever they want to. So that was an interesting study as well. I, I heard that yesterday too. It was very interesting. I was thinking I'd go back and look for a podcast on that. Uh, Libby, you mentioned, as we talked about cats and stray cats and mm-hmm. indoor cats, outdoor cats, uh, that this time of year especially, maybe owners might want to think about keeping indoor, outdoor cats inside a little bit more. This is Yeah, this is a time when most birds are raising young, and that's a very delicate time. You don't think about, I guess people think about bird nests being high up in a tree somewhere and you know maybe you don't see your cat up there but a lot of birds nest low to the ground some nest right on the ground many of them will nest in any kind of a little bush pretty low to the ground they're easy access for cats even a, a, a cat that's not much of a hunter can get eggs and baby birds and you know i know i've i've seen cats with baby birds before and so it it really would be a good time to keep your cats inside. Keep okay. them well-fed and indoors so that they don't go <laughs> looking for the, what they consider a treat, I'm sure. Right. Our state bird likes to nest in shrubs, Yeah. Okay. kind of low, the mockingbird. And for sure, cats can keep an eye on a yeah. mockingbird nest. <laughs> yeah. I think all of us on this show have agreed that the very best place for cats is inside all the time, but particularly right now while birds are nesting. I would say this, that the mockingbird is one of the best defenders of uh, its territory, though. Uh, they will literally get on the back of a dog or a cat or, or even a squirrel or a person uh, if they get too close. So I would say they, you know there's something going on when the mockingbirds are That's right. attacking, yeah. and they do a pretty good job of it. All righty. Time for our first break this hour. When we get back, we'll uh, bring our guest Joe McGee into the conversation. Also, we're looking for your input. What nesting birds are you seeing? What makes your yard a bird destination? You can join our conversation with comments and questions by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464 or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, biologist Joe McGee. We're talking nesting birds of the state. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, the phone lines are open. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 672 
888-789-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Joe, glad to have you back in the studio with us. Always enjoy your visits with us. Um, Thank you. What, uh, what kind of birds are people seeing in their yards uh, this time of year? We could put them into two categories. The, the resident birds, the birds that are here year-round, like cardinals, chickadees, titmice, those are nesting, and they will, they will be found in your yard. And then also some of the migratory birds, like uh, I'm sure some people listening have purple martins. That's a bird which definitely not here in December. Uh, Libby has two. I'm in, very envious of two <laughs> warblers that she has nesting in her yard. The prothonot- right, the prothonotary warbler? We have, yeah, we've, we've got a lot of prothonotary and a lot of perula warblers. We have a lot of Spanish moths. And that's what they nest in, yeah. And, yeah, we, if you want to attract nesting birds, if you have kind of target species you want to go after, you need to get pretty specific, I guess. And we, years ago, did bring Spanish moths mm. to our site. And I know where three nests are pretty much right now that for perulas. That's just yeah. amazing. It's a beautiful little bird. And the prothonotary warblers nest in nest boxes, right? Like a yes. bluebird, a bluebird nest box. I've got box. one in a little metal. Actually, it's one of those old um, toilet sinker things. Oh, Somebody really? made a decorative one. I got it. Um, Sky made it at... Uh, for um, at the Craftsman's Guild. Yeah. And I, I got one of those, and it's got the prothonotaries. They fledged um, last week. Do you remember a few years ago, prothonotary warblers nested in an ashtray behind the outside behind the museum? Yes. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty nasty ashtray. Even uh, yeah. I was real surprised I, they would do that. I peeked in there, and there was bubble, big wad of bubble gum and <laughs> other things. <laughs> but there they were. But uh, in my yard, I have uh, Carolina chickadees nesting in a bluebird nest box. It's the second I checked yesterday. I took a peek. Oh. The second nesting, and I've heard people complain. They say, "Oh, I have tit mice and you know taking over my bluebird nest box, or I have chickadees taking over my nest box." Well, that's fine. Just put up another. What I, I when I saw chickadees were using it, I put up another box. And the, the next morning, I, I was the sun was going down. I was putting up a box for the bluebirds, and the next morning the bluebirds were in it. <laughs> so there's a housing shortage, I think, at least in my neighborhood. I think there is in mine too. For yeah, the, for the cavity nesters. Mm-hmm. Um, what and what about percentage of birds that are here year round? The ones that come and go through migration. Do you have a handle on on that? Oh, I I don't. I'm afraid to go out on a limb there. Uh, Very good, by the way. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have in front of me the bird list from uh, uh, that's compiled by the Records Committee of the Mississippi Ornithological Society, and it has 400. 426 species now have been documented in Mississippi, and I did I put an X by the ones that breed in the state, and I think I counted 169. Okay. But you wouldn't expect all of those to be in your yard. For instance, the first bird, I was really surprised. I hadn't thought about this. The first bird on the list is actually a duck. It's the black-bellied whistling duck, and I'd forgotten. I'd totally forgotten that they do breed in Mississippi because they're a recent arrival Oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, they it was a very rare bird, un, unheard of in the state. And now uh, they're known to breed. In fact, I've seen a female black-bellied whistling duck that was tethered, if you will, by her young. She, they won't fly away so quickly if they've got young, you know, around that can't, they're unable to fly yet. So, uh, but I don't, I can't say for sure how many 
say Dr. Major yeah. would have in his yard that are resident birds here year round versus um, some that are migrating. And it would be easier, I guess. We could we could look at the list probably and come up a percentage of species, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to come up with an like for individual birds. How many cardinals do you have in your yard? Like when I look at cardinals and doves and Carolina wrens and you know my common things that are always there. That probably is most of my birds. An interesting thing that I've noticed, during the wintertime, I have large numbers of a little sparrow called a chipping sparrow coming to to eat mm-hmm. the, the bird seed. And they all leave usually in, I don't know, early April. They're all gone. But this year, one there's one pair of chipping sparrows in my yard. The male sings religiously. <laughs> and I'm sure they are nesting somewhere you know around my yard but i haven't fa- found the niche to find a niche you've got to sit out and be really sit out on your carport or your deck or whatever be really still and watch where the birds come and go to eventually they give themselves away especially when they start feeding the the young yeah and it's if you particularly the female birds mm-hmm. males are pretty active depending on the species but if you watch for those female birds yeah. then just you if you notice them coming from a sp- particular part of a yard or particular part of a tree. Over and over. Yeah, you can you can usually narrow it down and find them. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with biologist Joe McGee, talking about the birds that you're seeing in your yard this time of year. And we've got some open phone lines, so if you have a question or if you want to tell us what you are seeing in your yard, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's start off. On the phone lines by going to Scott, who's called in today. Good morning, Scott. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. I wanted to run a bluebird box uh, conundrum past you. I, I posted a bluebird box in a new spot, and I put it on a what I consider a quite slick uh, PVC pipe. And the birds, on Mother's Day, I had six eggs. By Wednesday of that week, I had uh nest full of hatchlings, you know, and the the parents dutifully took care of the birds until one day I saw some slither, muddy slither marks up my PVC pipe only about three-quarters of the way up. About another week passed, and I saw the muddy slither all the way to the top, and the, re- the nest had been robbed and all the birds uh, killed. So I, I, I'm going to think that I must have a snake. And then my neighbor next door had a similar occurrence. He told me to come over and look at his box. And, and when he opened the box door, there weren't any eggs left in it. And I, I think we have a snake. So I, I was wanting you to describe perhaps a snake baffle or some way to limit the way a serpent can get up that post and get to your bluebird. Okay. Uh, let me give you my philosophy on snakes and bluebird nest boxes first. I, I've never found a snake in my bluebird nest box. That's not to say they don't happen. My neighbor has. I've always said to myself, if I find a snake crawling up the pole to the, to the nest box and he hasn't gotten there yet, I'm going to remove the snake and take him away, take it away. If he's already started eating, I'm going to go ahead and let nature take its course. I'm not going to kill the snake because he's eating the bluebirds. I, bluebirds and snakes have been coexisting for thousands of years, and we have still have both around. But there is a, there are ways to deter the snakes. My bluebird nest box is 12 feet up in the air, and that's I put it that way mainly to deter 
to deter cats, but I think it also deters snakes. Now, the problem with having it 12 feet in the air, it's, by the way, it's three feet in the ground, and <laughs> putting it up was a lot of trouble. And also, if I want to check to see what's going on, I need to take a stepladder out. That is a lot of trouble, believe me, to take a stepladder out and, and see what's going on. So that's the, the downside. But there are baffles that you can, snake baffles, that you can get to put on the pole. Uh, you might, ch- can I mention a, a sure. company? Mm-hmm. You might check with forestry support. Forest suppliers. I and be- Wild Birds Unlimited has them. Okay, so. Wild Birds Unlimited, good. But Wild I think Bird- they both do. Yeah, yeah, that would be the way to go. Wild Birds Unlimited or forest suppliers. And there are probably others online. There are snake baffles, and these things will keep, uh, supposedly they keep raccoons, and there's some for raccoons, and I see those on wood duck boxes. At yeah, Wild- and I've, I've observed those things working. It's like a collar that's yeah. sort of, or you know, like one of those... Like a lampshade. Cone that the poor dog has yeah. to wear. <laughs> kind of yeah. like a lampshade yeah. 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 type of thing. Yeah, And it, it faces down, so it's really hard for a snake to get past it. I've had more problems with squirrels. Okay, and that's a real challenge because they can jump on the nest box from wherever. And they can also chew a hole big enough you know, through wood to, mm-hmm. to reach in. So. I think they're the worst. They're yeah. the hardest to discourage. I had to yeah. move a nest box recently uh, because of the squirrels and enlarging the hole. I just nothing was using it. No, no bird was using it. But I, I moved it. But uh, the place where I have my bluebird nest box is not near a tree that has branches overhanging. So uh, squirrels have not been a problem with that. But I, I agree. I just this week I had a the hanger for a bird feeder chewed into by squirrels. So I, I hope we answered Scott's question. Uh, one, one follow-up on that, would uh, flying squirrels predate uh, on bird? Yes. Birds? <laughs> In a word, yes. But do, they, you, do you have uh, flying squirrels? Yes. Uh, I love to watch flying squirrels so much that I'm, I'm okay with them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they yeah, they snakes for the same reason, but I mean, yeah. they're just scary. Yeah, and I don't know how it'd be. I guess it's almost just as bad as squirrels. It would be hard to yeah. discourage those flying squirrels. I have them a lot of times in the winter. They'll occupy my um, my nesting boxes right. yeah. and stay in there. But they leave in the spring, and I've had birds nest after them, so they don't mind. There's probably a smell or, I don't know. But anyway, they don't seem to mind to follow the on flying squirrels. I don't think I have any flying squirrels right now, but years where the oaks produce a lot lot of acorns, that seems to to bring them in. You never know what might occur in a box. I I had a bumblebee nest uh, set up in in one of them. Yes, I took an old Martin gourd and hung it on a, just just to deal with it, hung it on a, a rack, a tool rack. And Bumblebee, last summer, I had, and uh, I left it alone. And one day I forgot, though, (laughs) and grabbed the rake and vibrated the whole thing, and out came the bumblebees. (laughs) And I was stung several times. One got up under my glasses. I slapped my glasses off. A lens came out. (laughs) But I still, I didn't, I left the bumblebees alone because they're, you know, they're kind of a keystone species. They're really important, so. All right, this is Creature Comforts. Let's get another call in before our next break. Uh, Dudley's calling in from Calhoun County. Good morning, Dudley. Good morning. Go ahead. I have a, a, a lifetime experience, or I think. Uh, I looked out my window. Um, it's been about a month ago, and I saw a small duck. It was uh, the ducks that died. I don't know the name of them, but... 
I kept watching, and I noticed that there was something moving around the duck. So I finally grabbed my binoculars, and I saw there were six little baby ducks around this small black diving duck. And I have never in my life experienced anything like this. And I just really wanted to share it with you because I enjoy your show so much. And uh, and would love to comment. You're sure you, you saw the duck dive, the adult duck? It was... It was a small, yeah, I what think, I call a little uh, diving duck. I think, go under yeah, and- yeah, I think what you saw was a uh, uh, hooded merganser, which is, they breed in Mississippi, and that's that's really a good observation. Beautiful if, if, black and white uh-huh. head with small, that big fan on it. Small, d- yeah. could you describe the bill on that duck? No, this was just the, I've seen them many times on the lake. Uh-huh. It's solid black little ducks that dive, and then they'll come up, and, and yeah. there's a name for them, but I just, uh, I think, I just don't know. I think it's a hooded merganser. The other diving ducks don't breed in Mississippi, I don't think. So you wouldn't see them with ducklings around. Yeah, and you know your wood ducks probably. Do you see that? Because they're very colorful. Yeah, they're not, it was not a wood duck. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's but, a, that was great but, to see the babies, yeah. I envy you that. <laughs> I have, I have never. This is what I've been wanting to share this with y'all before today, but today right. seems like a, a very opportune so time. So, check in a field guide or online to see if uh, an image or a photograph of a hooded merganser matches up with what you saw or what you remember you saw. All right, Dudley, thanks the for your co- thing, Go ahead. I just I have never seen them since. This is the thing that disturbed me. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, to them at all. But thank you again. Yeah, hopefully they stayed hidden until they got big enough to fly. All right. Thanks for the call, Dudley. Always good to hear from you. Let's take another break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guests. Today, it's biologist Joe McGee. We're talking about uh, nesting birds and the birds that you see in your yard this time of year. Dr. Major's here ready to take a pet question as well. Give us a call to join the conversation. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, biologist Joe McGee. We're talking nesting birds of Mississippi. If you want to join the conversation with a question or a comment, let us know what birds you've seen in your yards. Give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We do have a caller to get to, so we say good morning to Sharon, who's called in from the Natchez Trace this morning. Good morning, Sharon. You're on the air with us. Yes, good morning. How are you? We're doing good. I have a question. Uh, we have a, our, our home, we have for the last five or six years, had swallows, and they built their nest on our front porch above the entrance. And we, first year, we let them nest and fly away, and we took the nest down. And they came back and built it exactly the same place. 
And so now, I literally, the other night, there were eight of them perched on my front porch. <laughs> I don't know how to relocate them. Any advice? Um, Dissuading them, of course, before they build the nest is the right thing to do. And if you can come up with something decorative that you like that you can put there to dissuade them from being in that area, that's the kindest way to do that. Yeah, I wish I had her porch. <laughs> I put up on my carport uh, a barn swallow nest shelf. It's for barn swallows or Phoebes. The Phoebes have approached it, but unfortunately, too many trees have grown up in my yard. It, it's too shady and off for the swallows. They like it really open. I assume it's really open around your house, open landscape. Sharon, are you still with us? I guess not. Oh, but, we must have lost. But anyway, but I, yeah, that's right. If you, it could be positioning a, a plant in the right place might uh, dissuade them. I had a, a relative who had this problem. She viewed it as a problem, and I bought, as I was telling Libby, I bought some snakes, artificial snakes, at the museum gift shop. We put those around on the ledge, and that helped for the first year. Uh, I'm not sure it helped very much after that. Uh, but it's it's a temporary thing. Uh, it's just what six weeks you've got a mess on your hands, but you may not want the col- uh, to have an entire colony of barn swallows. I think Dr. Major has a, a suggestion. Yes. Yeah, you know, the, the thing is, I guess, you know, how much can you tolerate? And tolerance is, is a big plus. But I know some of the uh, neighbors have actually taken uh, – String, strung it across like in an X fashion, and uh, secured some silver-like or shiny mirror-type medallions on that, and that has distracted the the birds from coming through there. So, hmm. uh, if you understand what I'm saying, kind of a maze, if you will, and some people think that would be unattractive as well. I'm sure. So, you have to kind of deal with it as best you can without harming the birds. Actually, though, I think that sounds like a fun DIY project for people who like to get creative with crafts and things, because right. that would be kind of a little art piece for your yard. Then. Do something seasonal on there. I tell a story on my dear departed mother. She complained and complained about two bird nests on her front porch and cleaning up after the birds and cleaning them. And then immediately when they were gone, she <laughs> lamented that <them> missing <laughs> her birds. And so it's so hard, isn't it, to, to get life just where we want yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back to the phone lines we go on Creature Comforts. We say good morning to Donna, who's called in from Fairhope, Alabama. Donna, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thanks good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, we have nesting birds on an acre behind our home. Um, it has lots of pine trees, and we have a variety of birds nesting there. We have the blue jays and the common birds that we have. Um, we really can't see them that well, but anyway. Um, we've noticed over the past week we have lots of crows coming in, and it's just devastating. Is there anything that we can do to deter them? Boy, that's a tough one. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, I almost don't know what to say. One thing you want to avoid is startling the adults away from the nest when the crows are around. That's a right. good – you make it easy pickings for the birds. I know – on the coast where the least terns nest, if folks walk near or through the least tern colony when the eggs or the chicks are, are on the sand, uh, the adults fly away in distress, and here come the fish crows and grab eggs and nestlings. It's, it's, 
Uh, so if the adults are present and undisturbed, they will protect their young. So try to avoid, you know, startling the adult birds. That's one thing you can do. But to keep keeping the crows out, mm, that's tough. Uh, I, I, I hardly know what to say. Yeah, I'm stumped. I don't know a way to discourage crows. Crows are very intelligent birds. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you could reason with the crowd. Tori, you got an idea? <laughs> I'll try that. Uh, try, uh, try learning to like the crows if you, if you possibly I, I can. Was, I was thinking about maybe taking a couple of the uh, fake owls and go uh, half a mile away and set them up in the woods, and the crows <laughs> would possibly go over there. Oh, you yeah. know how they harass owls? Yes. <laughs> That's true, they do. Uh, one, once they I, know, I found... Uh, a roadkill great horned owl years ago, and I moved it. I probably should, legally, I guess I should have left it there, but I moved it to my brush pile, and the crows found it and stayed around that brush pile for a couple of weeks. And I, because it was an owl. Because they, and I covered That's, it up even with so it was not, and they remembered where it was. That's smart. Yeah, they're very intelligent birds, but keeping them away from your nesting birds is, is a real challenge. All right, Donna, thanks for the call. Sorry we couldn't offer more uh, advice, but uh, sometimes uh, nature gets the best of us, I guess. Let's uh, continue on the phone lines. Off to Mobile we go. Paul's on the line. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I had an experience uh, maybe a year ago, or probably in July, with a uh, Carolina chickadee that you might be interested in. Uh, in my uh, patio uh Feeder, the Carolina chickadees are one of my principal customers. And uh, I had been working out in the yard in the heat all day. I was very, very sweaty in a just a T-shirt. So I sat in a corner to cool off, and uh, a couple of the chickadees were fighting tremendously. And uh, one of them... Uh, appeared to be the loser in the fight, came over and grabbed on, uh, landed on my collar uh, and sat there for about eight or nine minutes. Of course, I remained rigid. And I don't know if it was the fact that I was sweating so my body was not a threat to it, but it uh, sat there, moved around my collar from one side of the neck to the other, and uh, just uh, it was just uh, me and the bird sitting quietly for eight or nine minutes uh, with the birds apparently finding refuge from his enemy there. And finally... Uh, after eight or nine minutes, he flew off back to a little bird bath and was promptly attacked by the enemy again. <laughs> so I just thought that little story was, was tremendous for me that I was a, a comfort figure for eight minutes. What a sweet story. That's yeah, very, great. Very yes. interesting. Chickadees are another bird that I think are very intelligent. All right, Paul, we appreciate your call. Thanks for the story. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to share a comment, a, a story, or a question about backyard birds today, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 672 
888-788-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, you know, a lot of times we get uh, uh, photos of people trying to identify birds that they've seen maybe out and about in their backyards or whatever. But if they want to kind of maybe do some investigation on their own, is there a good online resource for learning more about birds and bird identification that you would recommend? I sure would. Uh, there's a website called All About Birds. It's actually part of Cornell Laboratory on Ornithology, part of their effort. Yeah, I think they're the best. It's yeah. really good. And they have the equivalent uh, app, the the Merlin app, which do you have that on your phone? Yes, Maybe? I do. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, go uh, go to Cornell Laboratory of Ornithology, and, and they have a world of uh, inf- information available. There's a weekly um, bird newsletter that, um, in fact, Mary sent me, Mary Stephen sent me that yesterday, and it was a, a nice article about prothonotary warblers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Cornell is great. There's Audubon and Peterson Guide yeah, and yeah. Uh, Sibley Guides, all those kind of things you can get from online online nowadays yeah cornell is the one i trust the most if i have a question you can just type in a question for them and get answers just a wealth of information it's like entering another universe you just go on and on and and suddenly you realize i've got to stop this and go have lunch yeah (laughs) (laughs) and also we've mentioned this on on the program before if you have kids that are interested in birds and nature that this is a good way to help them kind of develop their uh, thinking skills as you know what did what did the bird's head look like? Now let's look it up in the guide, and, and you do that process of elimination. So that might be a fun, interactive way uh, to keep your kids engaged if you think that they're young nature enthusiasts. Let's get one more call in before our next break. So we say good morning to Shannon. Good morning, Shannon. You're on the air with us. I did mention um, something for the lady from Fairhope who was having a problem with the crows. Yes. And I don't know if this would work for her because she it sounds like she has a wooded lot we really enjoy having our martin houses. We have three martin houses, and then we have about six bluebird houses set out. And then, of course, a lot of just regular nesting birds, you know, chickadees, wrens, and so forth. But the, those martins, when the crows or the hawks come by to steal the nest, um, the martins go crazy. And so they, you know, push the crows out from the sky from the area or push the um the uh, the hawks out of the way, and so it's kind of like a natural section. So I don't know if she has enough space for the markings, but that you know, just for a, a natural way of dealing with crows disturbing nests, that would be a good thing. Yes, that's a good idea. Uh, I can remember years ago seeing martins chase a uh, a cooper's hawk away from their colony. Mm-hmm. That's that yeah. might work. You do need open country for the martins. They're not a woodland bird. But that's a right. good idea. That's a really thanks, good Shannon, idea. Yeah. All right, Shannon. You're thanks. Welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's take one final break this hour. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've been visiting throughout the hour with our friend biologist Joe McGee, and we're talking about birds this, that you'll see in and about uh, this time of year. Doctor Major still ready to take some pet questions as well. So give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap up the show after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with our friend biologist Joe McGee, and we've been talking about 
uh, the birds that you're seeing uh, in your yards this time of year. And Libby, we had uh, someone email the show. We had mentioned an event coming up at the what is the Audubon, uh, uh, the uh, Strawberry pl- Plains, is that it? I can't think That's of it. Right. Yes, yeah, Strawberry yeah. Plains. Yeah, in the Holly Springs. Holly so Springs. If you want to remind us of the details. Yeah, the workshop is Saturday, June the 29th from 9 to 11 that morning. And um, Hal Mitchell, who's a great birder, is teaching it. It's called Advanced Birding. Uh, he's going to give you lots of good tips about how to get a good idea of a bird, you know, what to look for when you're seeing something fast, uh, how to use your binoculars to the maximum, just kind of all kinds of tips that he's learned as, for watching birds. I think it'll be very um, it's a, a valuable. He can teach you some skills that can improve your bird watching. I wish that I was going to be up there so I can see it. And so, again, it's Saturday, June the 29th. Okay. Uh, Joe, while we're waiting for some uh, calls to get online here set up, you also have been our resident frog expert on the show. Uh, What kind of frogs would we be seeing, probably more hearing, this time of year? Oh, boy, it's really great this time of year. Uh, I went out just a week or so ago and to a little pond I just recently discovered. There were barking tree frogs in it, which was Sort of a surprise for me. I think I, I think the county I live in, which is along uh, or is bisected by I twenty, is about the northern limit of that species in Mississippi. But there were barking tree frogs. There were squirrel tree frogs. There were narrowmouth toads calling. There were southern toads. Uh, it was deafening. Uh, I'll send you an email uh, with a, an attachment, if you'd like, of some of the things I saw. It's really good. There were no green tree frogs there, but they're everywhere else. Bird, uh, bird voice tree frogs are calling now. They were not at that particular location either. Oh, they're so cool! But this yeah. is a oh, this is a good time of year for the warm uh, season species to to be breeding. Okay, back to the phone lines we go. We'll start again with uh, Levine in Jackson. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Morning, um, Doctor Major. I have a 15 year old Labrador mix. She was a, a stray dog. Now she's diabetic. I give her insulin twice a day. Uh, she's mostly blind. She's arthritic. But the biggest problem right now is weight loss. I cannot seem to get her to gain weight, and she eats a lot. Okay. What what food is she on? What what food is she eating? Well, I'm actually giving her one of the no-grain. Uh, I mean, um, uh, I went through her vet, through the vet, and it is one of the ones that's for diabetic dogs. I mean, right. you know best we can get for right well I, i'm just trying to figure out several things number one there can be other things involved uh other than diet we do see a lot of times because of the way the uh dietary foods for diabetes are uh composed that dogs do lose weight a lot of times uh you can increase the amount of food may help uh and discuss with your vet, vet if there are any others that he would recommend. The other thing would be kidneys. I mean, a dog this age, certainly her kidneys and liver, if they check out fine and overall, uh, I suspect increasing her diet or changing would probably be the best thing. Kidney disease in a dog this age, though, is very, very common. So good luck to you, and I, I hope she continues on. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call. Let's go next to Patrick, called in from Biloxi today. Good morning, Patrick. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I'm keeping the conversation going about the uh, crows and blackbirds. Growing up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast as a child, the marshes were full of red-winged blackbirds, 
and now they're all gone. And I was curious uh, what happened, and will they ever come back? And it was it's, uh, it was a beautiful thing to see. I don't know what happened to them. Are are you? It, it wasn't a seasonal thing, was it? Were you seeing them mainly in the winter? Um, I, you know, it may have been, but. Uh, I'm still down here, and I don't ever see them in yeah. any season. Yeah. yeah, they may have moved to another marsh. Uh, red-winged blackbirds are more abundant in the winter in the South because many of them end up in Massachusetts and New York and whatnot in the, to breed. But but they also there are populations that breed in Mississippi. I'm not sure. Uh, I would like to think that they have found a marsh somewhere that that they like better maybe than the one you've been visiting but check some other marshes and ask around with other birding friends to see if their observations are similar to yours i don't know libby have you no i've not heard of any decrease in their populations you know i've heard that's one of the birds that people mention as our most numerous bird in the state yeah oh okay well, in but, winter. but it may be where you were used to seeing them something changed in that habitat so they're not there that, anymore. that's what i'm thinking like you've got them at your house don't you don't they do. breed they, at your house they thin out they used to breed in the hay field behind yeah. the house they don't anymore but they, they cover the feeders in the winter time they sort of dominate the feeders in fact but they've thinned well, out now yeah, uh, that's good to hear. I, I guess maybe they moved. Also, I, I lived in Texas for a couple of years, and there's a bird called a grackle that's yeah. all over yeah. Texas. But they, I've never grackle. seen any east of the Mississippi. Is, oh. is they, they they don't migrate? Yeah, we've got grackles. We have common grackles. They breed all over the state in the right habitat. Okay. We've got boat-tailed grackles on the coast. That's the big... Uh, you live on the coast, right? You're in Biloxi? Biloxi. Oh, you've got boat tail grackles. Get out there. You're, they're there, believe me, somewhere. <laughs> Probably okay. not in the numbers that you saw in Texas. Yeah, there. that's they're right. Everywhere out there. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your answers. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Patrick. Uh, let's uh, wind up things today with uh, Benny in Meridian. Good morning, Benny. Good morning. I'm uh, calling you about my hummingbirds. Each year I feed my hummingbirds. I enjoy watching them. Uh, started in May, but around the middle of May until uh, today, I have not seen a hummingbird. Oh, goodness. And we, they were plentiful at the beginning of May. I yeah. will tell you that that's, I had a friend that had that complaint in Vicksburg, and she hers appeared just a few days ago. I thought it was a little late for them to first yeah. appear. Usually by, you know, by the middle of June, You've got them in their nesting, what? but um, evidently it's not too late for them to come back. So, no. and it could be now. The other thing that's happened this this year has got fantastic natural foods for hummingbirds. I've got a good many hummingbirds. They do. They have been running out my feeders, yeah. but they also I'm noticing that they're feeding all over the place but because there's so no. many other sources of food. So well, I would keep your feeders out and um and refresh, you may refresh yet get them. Nectar. Yes, they show up in large numbers when, yes. in migration, and yes. around Mother's Day, early May, around Mother's Day, their numbers drop way down because they've all migrated through except the resident birds, and those are largely females which are actively nesting and they i have the same thing every year there's a drop in the number of hummingbirds that come to my feeder in early may through about mother's day and then it builds up again and now i can hardly i bet my feeder's empty right now i can hardly keep it full because we're now in the middle of june or yeah late I've, june. I've only got two out but they're they're used a lot so, so i think what's happening is a natural a natural process Okay, well, that's good to hear. I just didn't want anything to have happen to them. Yeah, just I hope make you sh- get them back. Make sure <laughs> your feeder is clean and that yeah. the uh, the sugar water is uh, is fresh. Not sp- if it gets 
cloudy, that means it needs to be replaced. Okay. All right. Thank you. Benny, thanks for your call. Uh, just about ready to wrap us up, but a reminder of our email address. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You can always use that to send in uh, a question, or if you see something that you need help identif- identifying, you can send in a picture. But also, if you have any events, uh, animal, creature-related, that you want us to pub- publicize, you can send those in as well. Creature Comfort is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.